I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier. Joining me, Big Waz, Rob Mahoney. Rob, did you know it was Waz's birthday the other day? <laughs> I may have heard something about that, yes. Because it's funny, I don't remember an uh, invitation to any sort of shindig oh, this over God, the weekend. We you would go. think your pod brother-in-arms would... It- it, well, it's at least an get open the invite. invitation, Justin. It's, a, it's <laughs> come one, come all. It, it reminds me of my favorite part of Waz joining the ringer, which was as soon as I heard that he was about to join, I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. I text him and then I scroll up to find like the, mo- the most recent text before that was four years ago. And it was Waz being like, hey, my birthday, come to this spot, yada, yada. I'll let you know <laughs> when the time comes. <laughs> Four years later. Hey, Waz, glad, glad you're here. Oh, my God. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, but happy birthday, Waz. Yeah. Thank you, my boys. Appreciate you guys. All right. And we're going to celebrate here on this deadline eve by going through some of the biggest trades that have already happened and potentially some that could happen between now and tomorrow's noon Pacific deadline. Uh, let's start first with the, the biggest news in the NBA now, the one that's burbling across the league, which is the Lakers might be lingering over that panic button. I guess they've been there for a while, but at the very least, I think LeBron has come to terms with uh, how close they are to pushing that button. You have reports from Dave McMiniman at ESPN and the, the Athletic, but that basically they're thinking about actually doing something about the Russell Westbrook problem after last night's loss to the Bucks. Uh, Waz, do you think something actually happens? Do we get another LeBron uh, settling all family business trade deadline here? Nah, they it can't because they've all of their bullets have been fired already, right? Um, the idea that the assets, quote unquote, that are left are Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played a game this season, and mm-hmm. Taylor Horton Tucker, who has underperformed his contract that he got in the offseason. Those are the two guys that they have as bait to bring in some actual contributing players. I don't see how this gets fixed this season. Maybe in the offseason, because I guess once the offseason comes, Russ is an expiring deal, so it feels less onerous to take him on, and they can figure out some other things, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But until the offseason, this thing is locked in and set in stone. It feels like we are scant hours away from the Lakers kind of shrugging and throwing up their hands and trading for Terrence Ross and saying, okay, we'll, we'll deal with the Russ thing when we can deal with it because I don't see it right now. I, I don't yeah. see... We can talk about the John Wall stuff. We can talk about every harebrained possibility we can come up with. I don't see anybody trading for this version of Russell Westbrook right now. Well, we have talked about the Wall scenario. Wall for Westbrook and maybe a pick involved in there. Yeah. After the most recent Russ catastrophe, are you guys at the point where you're ready to to welcome John Wall to Los Angeles? Was? Woof. 
No. I, I mean, <laughs> look, the John Wall thing, I guess it sounds like, all right, let's just try some other random thing that has, there's no actual proof that this could work. Because again, another guy who has not played in over a year damn near at this point, um, I don't see why John Wall is materially better than Russell Westbrook. But, you know, the, the quotes coming out of last oh my night's God. game were so <laughs> freaking dire and just everybody acknowledging that this thing has been a complete and unmitigated disaster. Four team, before LeBron got hurt, when he hurt his um, ankle last year, they were basically right there neck and neck for the number two spot. They were beating Phoenix in that series two to one before AD went down. The eventual Western Conference Championship and the number one seed in the West this year. Just last year, they were that freaking close to now they're just getting smoked every single night that they play mm. a real team. Well, as you mentioned the quotes, I think we need to refer to them explicitly. Yeah, yes, we do, we do. <laughs> you know, Bill Orem had this from The Athletic from LeBron's press conference where LeBron said, do I think we can reach the level where Milwaukee is right now? Um, no. Is that what you wanted to hear? No. <laughs> well, I will also say that he was teed up with the question, do totally. you think you could reach Milwaukee's level? Um, but he also didn't have to say that. So but, but, but they asked him specifically, like reference to the game that just happened and he's like but shit i could have told you that before the game <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty bad I, that's what i wonder though if they're in such a dire strait right now that they might hit the eject button on Russ, no matter what just to get a new face in there even if it is paul even if he hasn't played this entire season that's yeah. better than whatever they've gotten from russell westbrook thus far um i just don't even think that would be fair to john wall to ask a guy who hasn't played this season to come save you when he's really not that different a player from Russell mm -hmm. Westbrook in terms of what his skill set is. Like he can, his passes are a little cleaner, a little different bursts. You know, maybe you don't, you know, give him as many wide open threes or in, in the case of last night's game, wide open six and eight footers as the Bucks were giving Russell Westbrook. Maybe it's a little different, but it's a lot to ask of a guy to go from zero to, to trying to contend, especially a, a steep ramp up for a player with a pretty extensive injury history. I'm not even sure it's responsible to ask John Wall to be that guy for you. Having said that, the bar is very, very low. And if oh, John is Wall is just a healthy body, like I wonder if he is just feted like a king in Los Angeles. And, and you know, the thing that struck me watching some of last night's game, because I just, I, like after the first quarter, I'm just like, this is just a bludgeoning. Like, like they're just getting destroyed right now. And watching Russ is like, I was at that game when they first executed the Rockets deal to turn them into micro ball. I was at that game at Staples against the Lakers and the Lakers kind of didn't understand what to do against the team. And the Rockets ended up winning that game. And Russ was actually pretty damn good in that game. And people like AD on switches were having trouble staying in front of them. The, some of the Lakers' best defenders were having trouble dealing with Russ in the five-out, completely spread-out offense. Like, he looked like a good player in that game. That dude no longer exists, period. There's basically not a single person in the league who Russell Westbrook can beat off the dribble anymore. And because he knows this, he plays so tentatively. Like, back in the days, he could make... Like, he had pick-and-roll chemistry with, you know, Steven Adams, who, again, is a lot less dynamic a pick-and-roll partner than LeBron or AD is. He was able to have chemistry because he could, you know, puncture defenses. He could create cracks and openings against most set NBA defenses, right? If not the most elite ones, which, you know, his playoff woes showed that he wasn't that type of dude. But again, like, he could do that. He could puncture defenses now, I watch him dribble, dribble, dribble against big men. Can't do anything without him. And he's doing shovel passes behind him to guys. Just like hot potato. This is like, he's just not a useful player in, in any way, shape, or form. And so, can John Wall be better than not at all useful? I think so. <laughs>
Yeah, it's really all he needs to do. And like, no, we talked about the limited assets that the Lakers have. I do think they actually have one asset that might actually be the like one of the best on the entire market, which is their 2027 unprotected first round pick, which like on the one hand, maybe GMs will say, yeah, I'm not going to be around that long. I'm never going to be able to reap the benefits. On the other hand, the value of that could be traded again for something even more substantial down the road, especially if things keep going further downhill and maybe LeBron leaves to go play for the Minnesota to Timberwolves so he could team up with Bronny James and whatever happens down the road. Like, so I, I do wonder if that could actually get them something. So maybe it's not John Wall for Russell Westbrook if it means that pick. I wouldn't do that. But what if it was, for instance, Wall plus Eric Gordon for Russ? the contracts needed to get to the number you would have to. It'd probably be like Horton Tucker. It would have to be none and maybe something else plus the pick. If it's Gordon with Wall, Rob, do you like that a little bit better? I mean, look, I wish I could help you guys vet fake Lakers <laughs> trades, but they're not letting me come into the game. I'm just going to put my hands tenderly on your shoulders and say, be good, do well. I wish you all the best <laughs> as you try to trade Russell Westbrook away from the Lakers. I just don't see it. And yeah. Yeah. part of the problem for me, if you're the Lakers, you are in a position now, everyone is upset. Everyone is you know, frustrated with the situation. You have to be very careful about trading away future unprotected first-round picks because if this thing goes sour, if LeBron or Anthony Davis decides, you know what, it might just be easier to contend somewhere else, this could get ugly very quickly, and you don't want to be left without your own pick in the case that you bottom out swiftly and suddenly, and in the Lakers' case, very violently, I'm sure. Are we sure that Polinka is going to be around in order to reap the benefits of that 2027 pick? I don't think he's going to last more than a couple of months if this keeps going the way it is. Look, in the Rob Polinka thing, obviously, there's a way to satisfy LeBron and AD while also getting in the big picture, while also getting some of the stuff on the margins right. It's just that he never does get the stuff on the margins right. And so it's hard for me to blame him, though, when LeBron and AD allegedly vetted this deal by talking to Westbrook at their mansion. And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we talked to him. It's going to be great. So you get the okay from your most important people in the organization and you deliver for them. How can you really be mad at Rob Palenka, right? I think LeBron and AD got to look themselves in the mirror and be like, maybe we don't know what the fuck we're doing when it comes to player evaluation and we need to chill the hell out. On the other hand, it's not like Palenka's been this, you know, this savant since he's been there. Yeah, it's been a bad run for the player empowerment era because over the past couple of weeks, it's Russell Westbrook going down in flames and James Harden wanting out after what, less than a season in Brooklyn and wanting to go and play for the Philadelphia 76ers rather than KD, his former friend on the Oklahoma City Thunder. I don't know, like maybe at a certain point you should leave the GMing to the GMs. There's probably a reason they have those jobs. Well, another guy too who decided all things considered, maybe I don't want to play with Russell Westbrook in James Harden. And now, there's now a laundry <laughs> sure. list of those stars because everyone wants to play with Westbrook until you play with Westbrook, until you find out what that really means, especially if you have a team that's constructed the way this Lakers team is. And I think we can blame LeBron and AD for wanting Russ there in the first place, for having those meetings, for talking themselves into it. I think you have to hold the front office accountable, though, for the moves around the edges, for all that supplementary stuff that we've been talking about. Those moves, they just haven't nailed enough of at nearly the level they would need to offset this giant elephant in the room. Buddy healed for the pick in contracts? Huh? Ugh. Well, I mean, first of all... Well, I'll say this. The Cap Geeks are talking about Buddy Heald is negative value considering his contract. I don't necessarily yeah. believe that considering he's been dogging it on defense for two years, just like wanting to get out and talking to everybody uh, after the game, whispering in their ear, like, come and get me. But uh, I do think that is the, what they need now. Well, Zach Lowe reported shortly before we jumped on here that the Pacers are not planning to move him before the deadline. We'll see if that holds up. I'm sure, you know, if a 2027 Lakers first comes in on the market, maybe they reconsider that pretty quickly. But because of the money, it's not even enough just to do THT. It would have to be the THT plus none, plus whatever role players you can fit in there, plus as much cash as you could conceivably give the Pacers in that <laughs> transaction to make it work. And even then, 
you're getting a version of Buddy Heald that's not just negative value because of his contract, as you were alluding to some of the commentary around him. The guy just has not been very good for the Kings this season. Has not really been even valuable in the ways you would want him to be valuable. And so if he's that guy, the kind of unfocused, uh, just not very plugged in, as you said, not only defensively, but just really in the ways he would need to be offensively too. If he's still that player... I don't know that you're really getting anything that's going to move the needle for you, especially to the point of mo- like giving up a pick that could be potentially that valuable. Yeah. Waz, what do you think about Buddy Heald on the Lakers? Do you think he would solve enough of their issues? <laughs> no, he doesn't. Look, <laughs> okay. he, the issue with the Lakers is that, you know, it's like, look, we're not trying to wear LeBron out during the regular season. Let's get an innings eater, possessions eater type of guy in Westbrook. Turns out he's not good at that anymore, specifically with the pieces around him. So now you get Buddy Heald and the idea is like, all right, LeBron is basically our de facto point guard playmaker, our best one-on-one scorer, our our center in our earth. And sure, I guess if, if, if everybody's cool with that being the case and Basically, this turns into Cleveland all over again, where you cobble together a a basically barely decent enough defense, and LeBron's just so good at initiating offense for you that you're good enough. Think cool, but like the idea has been for a while that like LeBron doesn't want to do that anymore. So I don't know, maybe they admit defeat and be like, LeBron, look, you're the greatest player of all time. This is what we need you to do. Get over it. Well, I, have, to... I have a question too. Is there any evidence to suggest that Buddy Heald is better than Malik Monk right now? No. Right now, not so much, though. Again, I, I do think Buddy has been coasting for a very oh, to- long time. To- absolutely no argument there. And I guess the, and ha- the case I'll for trading for have, Buddy. Well, I'll just say this quickly. I think having Monk and Buddy is much different than having one or the other. And maybe that's it. You know, if you can find a way to survive defensively with the perimeter that's Russell Westbrook, Buddy Heald, Malik Monk, and then AD and LeBron trying to clean up everything else. Bless God you, bless. God yeah. bless. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> Keep benching Russ. Like, it's Monk, it's Buddy, it's LeBron, AD, and it's Mella. And you just go... Is that any shooters, better? Is that, is three that any shooters... Better? Three shooters plus pick and roll LeBron AD I think is like the success for every offense. championship of the yeah, past no, 10 no, years. That's an amazing yeah. offense, 100%. But again, it's predicated on LeBron basically being at his best all the time on that end. And, and playing. He's yes. their second best defender. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so you're being relied upon to be the second best defender on your team, second most important. We're talking about help side at the rim. We're talking about switching um, and guarding the league's best defensive players. We're talking to sometimes switching on big brutes and holding up in the post and you being the guy that's counted upon to make that happen. And then again, initiating every single damn near offensive possession. And then when those break down, being the one-on-one killer, at 50 years old? Come on, man. <laughs> Listen, Come on, man. That's the Lakers are lot. just trying to make the play-in right now. <laughs> like, I'm just <laughs> like, trying to very, get to the play That would be a lot to ask of a dude who was 27. Okay? Like, that would be a lot to ask. You're our best players in the league at in their prime. That's a lot to ask them to do that much work on defense and be that much of the fulcrum on offense. Um, good luck getting that out of LeBron, <laughs> man. And then doing it again in the playoffs. (laughs) What I'm hearing is, do we think the Lakers can reach the level where the Bucs are right now is a resounding, um, no. Well, (laughs) well, Vogel Vogel pregame was like, I love playing teams like the defending chance. It gives us a chance to take our temperature and see what we measure up against, da-da-da-da-da. Post game, they asked him, and it was like, so you mentioned pregame about the Tets, and he laughed. (laughs) Let's just get Jordan Clarkson back, you know? Let's get Rodney Hood. I saw him on a bench the other day. Uh, let's get Larry Nance over from the Pelicans. And let's just roll back that oh, Cleveland man. Cavaliers last run there. Actually, if they had all three of those players, I would love this team even more. Because <laughs> like that, those guys around AD and LeBron is actually very good. Um, but let's flip to those trades that happened yesterday. Let's start in Sacramento though, because I think this one's a little bit more interesting. So basically the Kings get Sabonis and two other wing players and a second round pick. The Pacers get Tyrese Halliburton, our friend Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson. Rob, you wrote about this yesterday for the site. Uh, what's kind of the, the headline for you on this one? I think the main takeaway is 
Demonis Sabonis is a good player. And my objection to trading someone as, as promising as Tyrese Halliburton for him is less about the talent swap or the potential swap of Halliburton for Sabonis than it is, why are you trading for Sabonis if you're this Sacramento Kings team? They mm. traded for a guy who just doesn't, literally no member of their core fits with him. So what are we doing? Like, I realize that they're trying, they want to be better immediately. They want more talented players. I've heard this described as a win now move, which is kind of a crazy thing when Sabonis <laughs> is 25 years old, but that's where we are. And it's it, it feels to me more like a win later move because you're going to have to tear this thing down to the studs to make room around him with the kinds of players who make sense with Sabonis. And I think that it sets up the next logical domino now or in the offseason has to be trading De'Aaron Fox. I just, I don't really see the long-term fit between those two guys. So you're telling me Sabonis doesn't fit with Rashawn Holmes and the rest of that big man rotation that they got over there? That doesn't make any sense. You're telling me, you know, Sabonis operating at the elbows and basically being the hub of your offense doesn't fit with what De'Aaron Fox wants to do, which is basically be on the ball, run, pick, and roll on the all game? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Rob? Because uh, I can't believe that. Uh, Sabonis, he's a two-time All-Star. You're adding a two-time All-Star, 25-year-old, to this group. Obviously, you're going to make the 10th seed. Duh. It's just, <laughs> you know, look. On the one hand, because I've been somebody in the past who's like, look, I like when teams try to win, right? So yep. it's nice that this team is respecting Adam Silver's experiment with this playing game stuff. And they'd be like, we're going to battle for that 10th seed and that playing spot. So I get it. On the other hand, how could Harry Barnes be part of some of your selling off of assets, but also you're trying to win now? It just it they, they don't know if they're coming or going over there in Sacramento, and this deal is just more of the same. And then you know that goes beyond like what I think of Sabonis as a player. Again, he's a nice player. I don't know what having him does for your team. Like, is this core even a top nine Western Conference team now? Like, I I, I just I just don't get it. A few weeks ago, we ranked Sacramento as one of the worst team situations in the NBA. Yes. Has anything changed, Justin? Do you see look at them any differently at all with Sabonis versus with Halliburton? Guys, I regret to inform you, but I'm going to zag here. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus so Christ. I've been sitting on this one. I've, I've been reading all the takes, and I've really been marinating on this. I agree with what you guys are saying. I think they need to figure out the next couple moves here. And if they don't trade Harrison Barnes before Thursday, then I'm going to look at this a lot differently. But I look at this and I say, why can't a Fox Sabonis core as your two pillars work? And I think it comes down to people are way too far down on De'Aaron Fox after this down season that he's had and probably a little bit too high on Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I really like Halliburton. It just seems like people talk about him as if he's Chris Paul. At this point, as if he's going to be first team all NBA. Like, I think he's more of a Andre Iguodala, if Iguodala's value is more on offense. He's like Alonzo Ball connector who will do everything you want. And that's a very, very valuable player who I would want on my championship team. Right. Yeah. But I don't think he's going to be your one or two. I think he's no. more of like a three. I think he's a component to that. He's more Lonzo than LaMelo. And so I asked myself, Let's take the contracts out of this because this is wild that that the Kings traded for a guy with two years left on his deal that makes so much more than Halliburton, right? But like just players, like one to one, is Sabonis better than Halliburton? Yes, I guess maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So then, absolutely. I think that's something. It's a talent upgrade, and you know the Halliburton thing. When you go and look at his numbers, like obviously, I think a lot. <laughs> I think a lot of the Halliburton stuff is that like. The analytics people loved him pre-draft, and he's kind of proven to be at a higher value than what he was taking, where he was taken at at 12 post-draft. And so the analytics first people love it, and they're like, look at this shit. We knew what the fuck we was talking about with Tyrese Halliburton, which I get. But if his value is supposed to be on offense as a guard, why is his usage only 18%? You know, like, how can he be that valuable if he's never really taking that many shots 
And he's never really dominating the ball that much. You know, like, I don't understand how he can be this huge value if he's never doing the stuff that makes those kinds of players valuable, right? And so, whatever. I think Halliburton's a nice player. I think Indiana made out great in this trade. Um, at the same time, I, I just... I just don't see how the Kings are positioned to be even a lower-level playoff team with just doing this deal. I don't, I don't see it. Well, I want to thread the needle here because I think, Justin, you're spot on as far as the public opinion and the approval rate for Halliburton is a little out of whack. Like It's just a little high right now because I think he's one of these guys who appeals to a lot of different types of fans and analysts. Like He he could appeal to a lot of different teams for that matter, which is part of why he's valuable. It's easy to talk yourself into him. But as for the usage question that you bring up, Waz, I think the answer is he plays for, at least has played for, a pretty dysfunctional team alongside another lead guard with a lot of different guys who are chugging for shots. Mm. Like Buddy Heald, even Harrison Barnes at this stage of his career is a catch and shoot, is a I'm going to get points up kind of player. Mm -hmm. You're not Your usage is not going to be sky high in that context. And I think where the optimism comes for Halliburton long-term, why I think he can be probably more of a, a second best player on a really good team versus a third, as you were laying out, Justin, is this time that he spent limited as it is without Fox in the lineup. Running the show, lead guard stuff, racking up assists, great pick and roll chemistry, great ability to read and manage the floor. I think that's what gives you the optimism that he could be more than just a connector. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know if the Pacers in the broad sense, aren't doing anything dissimilar from the Kings. It seems like they're resetting their entire team around Halliburton and Turner, especially when you hear reports that like maybe they keep healed, but that doesn't seem like it works, especially if they don't get another three or four in there to actually play the forward positions. Like sticking healed at the three did not work in Sacramento. I don't think it's going to work in Indiana again. And it sounds like, I mean, the scuttlebutt recently is that maybe Malcolm Brogdon could be the next guy out of Indiana. I don't know why they would do that. I actually like Halliburton Brogdon. They can actually complement each other in a lot of ways. Um, but like they are rebuilding around a guard and a big. I guess the main difference is that, and Rob, you, you alluded to this in your article, like the Pacers just seem more in touch with reality. And while like the Kings are the mo most likely candidate in the entire NBA to just think wildly that they can make a run for a playoffs. Like the Pacers are historically an organization that will always aspire toward them or not aspire toward the middle, but end up in the middle because they don't want to completely bottom out. I think it's yeah. like if, if there's any major takeaway from this, you have to give the Pacers credit for trading whale Levert and a Sabonis in order to look at the bigger picture and think like we actually might be better next year and the year after if we just take the younger guy in this move. Yeah. Make the swing for Halliburton get your top five or six pick. And I think that's the crucial element on both sides of this deal is what these two teams do with their 2022 pick is going to be instrumental to the future of their franchise. They're both at like really crucial pivot points where they need to nail what they choose. The Kings, they are going to need spacing, a guy who can really shoot in the worst way, whether they draft him, whether they get him in free agency, whether they trade someone like Fox for him, they need someone who can shoot. A guy like Buddy Hill? Well... <laughs> A guy who wants to play for them and can okay, also okay, shoot. Okay, got you, got you. <laughs> yeah, I got to say, like, the Fox-Mitchell backcourt doesn't inspire much more confidence than the Halliburton-Fox backcourt. Mitchell was already pretty old when he got to Sacramento, but I think, you know, the last few games, he's showing signs, um, as my man Marv Albert would say. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, I think he's one of those defensive-minded kind of guys, but he's shown some on-ball juice lately. And the thought might be like, yo, both of those guys can and will show improvement as shooters, meaning him and Fox. So I get the idea if you're optimistic. And we know teams always fall in love with the guys that they themselves drafted, right? So I could see them being very optimistic about his potential to improve upon what's already there. So I, you know, I guess I kind of get that. I definitely get the Mitchell part of it especially over the last few weeks, he's been really impressive, just not necessarily impressive in ways that make you think, oh, I want to pair this guy with a hub, like elbow handoff kind of big man alongside another point guard who also doesn't shoot that well. That's where I get hung up. And that's where I think when you're looking in the big picture, what these teams did, the Pacers ability to kind of double dip getting Halliburton and a top potential top five pick out of this season 
versus the Kings getting Sabonis and a top five pick, which is going to have to reset their whole team in a lot of ways, whether they whether they trade Barnes or not. And frankly, Harrison Barnes is the guy who fits best with Sabonis. The Sabonis I, thing mm. messes up their chances of getting a better pick. But it's like, again, what do they want? Do they want a better pick or do they want this playing game? Probably I mean, they want to be the Pacers. They want to be the Pacers is what they <laughs> yeah, want. That's true. Uh, the irony. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I definitely think that the odds favor the Pacers for winning this deal. But I think there is a chance if the Kings follow this up correctly, which it's going to take a lot here. I don't think it's as bad as I think a lot of the commentary like actually believes. It's not a disaster. It's just the kind of move that is going to require lots of other other stuff to follow it to make it make sense. And so that's not what you want to hear if you're the Kings, but they're also, given their position, there was not a, a one-move, instant-fix kind of solution here. This was going to be a long process to untangle this stuff. You just, I'm sure if you were a Kings fan, were hoping Halliburton was going to be a part of that. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Well, speaking of teams looking for one move to fix everything, let's talk about the New Orleans Pelicans, so, who made man. the other big deal of yesterday, getting CJ McCollum, Larry Nance, Tony Snell from the Portland Trailblazers in uh, in four, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Didi Luzada, Tomas Sadoransky, a first-round pick that's uh, it, it is 5-14 to 14 this year, they would get it, uh, and then it would convey to a future first-round pick and two second-round picks. Uh, I want to like this trade. Like, I want to say that, like, you know what? The price wasn't that much, and you get a CJ McCollum. It wasn't. Although I think we'll 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 table that. Um, and like CJ, like juices your team enough to where you could probably make the play in this year, and then you go forward with the CJ Zion Ingram core, which defensively, I don't know how they stop anyone. They're going to give up 150 points a game, but there's a possibility that they might score 151 with that sort of juice. Uh, I don't know, though. Like, I think a lot of it comes down to that CJ has come, unfortunately, to represent a team aspiring to the middle, right? Like, for so long, the the Lillard-McCollum backcourt has just been the shining example of, we're good, but we're not going to be great. And it and it it's tough to really get excited about that if I'm a New Orleans fan that we just trade for a guy who really capped a star in Portland and now I have Zion potentially if he's ever healthy the next best superstar in the NBA and we just got that guy on our team no Waz what do you think uh, I, I I think what you when you say it's hard to get excited it's hard to get excited for the Pelicans 
when we don't know when Zion is coming back and we don't know what he's going to look like going forward. That's what makes all of this, like, all of this is moot if Zion isn't right. And we don't know when or if that will ever be the case. So that's why everything is hard to be excited for. That's a first of all. But, you know, to New Orleans' credit, I will say in the offseason, when they put the space together, and then it was Devontae Graham, and we were just like, what? <laughs> like, if when they put the space together, it was CJ, we would all be like, okay, yeah, okay, I, I get that. I, I completely understand that. He's a mid-range assassin. He's got some a little bit of pick-and-roll juice. Obviously, he's upped his three-point volume and percentage in the past two years. Like, he used to be strictly mid-range now. He's got a three-point game to speak of. And you start to kind of see how it made sense but like for me it's 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 also just like bruh you know i remember when they were looked at as freaking geniuses and all the hall for ad josh hart is just gone out the door for the fuck of it um lonzo the same thing he was part of that deal and you know we'll see about those laker picks but like man this roster just seems again so freaking strange but if Zion comes back, I think they can be good. I worry about their playmaking because, let's face it, CJ's not a playmaker. He's basically a shoot a gunner at this point. Uh, Zion, obviously, hasn't really been able to show that he's that. Their best, <laughs> their best playmaker right now is probably Brandon Ingram, which is crazy. Because Ingram, look, he's made a lot of strides in that direction over the past few years. I think it's been understated how good he's gotten at that kind of stuff. Operating as a pick-and-roll ball handler, finding open shooters when he drives, you know, on the driving kick. I think he's gotten better at a lot of that stuff. But for him to be the the be-all and end-all of that, like, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I just don't. I never know what the hell's going on with New Orleans. So. <laughs> well, join me, Waz, because the level of zen I have found is in why the fuck not? Let's just do it. <laughs> sure, sure. Like, yeah. let's throw CJ McCollum in there. And as you said, the idea, you know, Zion, I think his optimal usage, the fully unlocked, best case scenario Zion is a guy with the ball in his hands, is a guy mm -hmm. who's creating off the dribble. Mm -hmm. Brandon Ingram, as we've seen this season, is taking, forward, taking steps forward, as you mentioned, was as a point forward, as a distributor. We have these two point forwards on our team, basically. What would you want to put with them? How about one of the best shooting guards in the league? A guy who can create off the catch, who can be a great second side guy for you, who can be a better version of whatever thought you, you were getting from De uh, Devontae Graham. I, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine with a team that is in 10th place right now in the West saying, let's just be a little bit better than we are and see if we can make this thing interesting. I have no problem with that under these circumstances for a team that, that needs a little bit of a pick-me-up. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the offense. Although I, I do wonder if there's a lot of competition for the ball there. If we were already saying Ingram and Zion butted heads a little bit, enough that it was noticeable uh, in order to be the, the dominant ball handler on the team. Like putting CJ in there is just another guy to, to, to get fed there. I'm much more concerned about a core of those three and what you can do defensively because Stan Van Gundy already went hoarse and then eventually got fired, basically yelling at them to play some semblance of defense. It had to come down <laughs> to those two guys actually setting the tone on defense. He said this for an entire year and it didn't work out. And now we're saying like, what parts are we going to throw in there in order to complement them in the ways where they could actually get stops? I think Larry Nance could help another internet sensation along with Tyrese Halliburton getting traded on the same day. Like what a time for us on the podcast, but like, like, yeah, that could help in a small ball lineup. Herb Jones, another internet sensation, like future defensive player of the year, Herb Jones. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, like, that's three poor defenders at this point as part of your core. And it's going to be tough to get around that. And the other big concern here is just like the long-term money implications. I know that we don't want to get super nerdy on this podcast, but like CJ makes his maximum. Brandon Ingram is making a max contract. Zion Williamson will presumably this offseason start a maximum extension. Like that is a lot of money and you're already dealing with tax concerns just with those three. And so, and 
that New Orleans is never going to be willing to pay the tax unless they are absolute finals bulletproof contenders. And so then you're starting to wonder like, well, how are they going to sidestep that while still maintaining what they've already built? And it gets pretty dicey pretty quickly, especially because they keep trading their own draft picks, which is like, this wasn't a huge price. I, I agree with what Rob was saying, like, but I think it's telling that they've had to give up their own draft picks or at least move back in this year's draft and then trade their own first round pick this coming year in order to make this deal rather than the bounty of picks from the Lakers and the Bucks, which signals to me that like maybe those picks don't actually have much value and that maybe actually this is their team. And so I'm wondering tax concerns, defense, the pick situation, like this is probably the team that Zion plays with for the next couple of years. And that's like, there's a glass ceiling there, and that's, that doesn't feel great. When you have Zion, though, like your offense could be so great. I'm almost, I'm compelled to say we'll worry about the defense later. And this is a team that, frankly, has actually been playing pretty well on defense lately. Well, now, how they, much of that is heart? Well, and well, they haven't had CJ McCollum in their lineup. They haven't had <laughs> yeah. Zion, who has looked lost and out of shape for a lot of the time he's been in the NBA, especially on defense. But I think you you establish yourself as we're going to be an elite offensive team. You pay the money, you get another talented guy in the door. And I think where we disagree, Justin, is on the financial impl- implications of bringing in McCollum because to me, what it does, getting another score of that caliber with Zion frees you up that if you do need to trade Brandon Ingram, it's an easier runway out of that. It's easier mm. to transition to a slightly different fit in which all the pieces could could just cobble together a little more easily. And I don't think, you know, as far as they've, they've moved some of their own picks, sure, but they still got a bunch of Lakers picks left, Lakers swaps, et cetera. They got some of those Bucks picks, which obviously won't be very good because Zion is a monster. Um, but, you know, still, I think they have enough stuff left that if, when they want to make tinkers or if they want to do something drastic, like moving a Brandon Ingram, who, you know, I still am pretty high on, um, they can do it. And I think that another thing that I always try to mention here is, like, you got to think about the GMs standing with the organization and how much of that informs some of the moves that are being made. Because... Shit, if I'm the Orleans owner, I'm looking at the Memphis Grizzlies, a comparable mm. fucking franchise to mine. They picked Ja the same year we picked Zion. Why the hell are they 20 million times better than us? They don't have any obvious advantages to us as far as resources, city location, all of this other stuff. They don't have that many more advantages, but they seem to be way ahead as far as where they are organizationally on the court um, than the New Orleans Pelicans are. And who's that question being posed to? The GM, David Griffin, who we all Mm -hmm. love as media members. It's like our jobs to love David Griffin. But like, if you're ownership, you got to be asking him like, bro, why is, what? And, And then it's not even just that they're way better right now. And that they're threatening a second seed and they're in the third spot right now. John Morant missed mad games. That team kept on trucking. Zion Williamson missed all these games and we're a disaster. You got to be comparing yourself to New Orleans as a small market, excuse me, to Memphis as a small market team who drafted phenoms in the exact same year. And, you know, ostensibly means you're on the exact same timeline. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the major difference right there. The, Grizzlies drafted their way to success. Whereas the Pelicans, I think this trade, like one of the sneaky, like, like other storylines here is just like how poorly New Orleans has drafted after Zion, because here they are giving away Nikhil Alexander Walker in a trade basically as flotsam as like kind of a flyer that you guys can just have. I mean, pretty much since Zion, the guys they've drafted in the first round are Jackson Hayes. Who's been good lately. The Jackson Hayes at the four experiment has been oh, he's, kind he's of promising. Four? Kind okay. of promising. Okay. Just throwing it out. I'm there. not convinced, but also he's like destined to be a backup, especially as you as long as you have Jonas Valanciunas. Um yep. Alexander Walker, who they just traded, Kira Lewis, who tore an ACL. So I don't know how much you could hold that against him, but like that's not great. Uh Trey Murphy, who has not been very good. That's part of the trade back that they had with the Memphis Grizzlies. And while they have Herb Jones in the second round, and that has been a revelation, they deserve all the praise for that. Like 
This is a very, very bad track record. And if you don't nail your draft picks, you have to trade for a CJ McCollum in order to save your season, to make the play in, to live to fight another day. And like, that's how they're getting into this mess. And that's why I think we were so hard on them when they made the trade for Jonas and Steven Adams and the trade back and all that, because they weren't valuing the prime draft assets that every small market team needs in order to build something uh, to, to move forward with. Like, I think this team is going to be fine, but like CJ's already what 30, 31 years old. He's probably going to start declining very soon. If he hasn't already, especially considering his injuries over the past couple of years. And I just look back at it and I'm like, why did you trade back in order to get Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander Walker, instead of just staying at four or five or whatever it was from that Lakers pick the year that, they made the Anthony Davis trade and just taken Darius Garland. I know we can get into like, oh, you should have just taken this guy. Everyone should have just drafted Giannis, right? But like there was a clear like shot at just taking another swing at a player who could grow into something with Zion. And now you're not saying like, well, we have this window of two to three years. Actually, Garland and Zion and Ingram can grow to five to six to seven years together. And we have one of the best young teams in the NBA. And that is the difference between the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. Yeah. And also, you know, I think the the logic is always, well, if I got... (laughs) If I got two late lottery picks, right, that's always two assets, right? Like, to go out and get a veteran, it's like, yo, I'm throwing this incredible asset at you. And you can call those guys former number 10 picks, former number 12 picks, when you try to package them for players that are already established, right? Trade present for future um my problem with asset talk is always the same like these dudes are no longer assets as soon as they dribble the basketball on an nba court like when teams get to watch jackson hayes flail for three years except for the past few weeks as rob just mentioned (laughs) that doesn't make this dude an asset you know and but i think that's always the thinking um justin is like well no there i can turn it into Two assets. I think, you know, that was the Hawks. Although the Hawks shit has worked out pretty nicely, all things considering. But they were like, no, no, no. I can get Trey Young right now and an asset like the guy they just traded to the Knicks for a bag of peanuts. But exactly. That's yep. always the thinking, though. Is like, I could potentially turn one asset into two assets. And then they just look like assets. <laughs> <laughs> It's the bites at the apple thing, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, you have more lottery tickets, etc. Like, you're not going to hit them all, but you will hit one or two. But I don't know. I'd rather have first choice of a better mm-hmm. asset than mm-hmm. multiple guys. Well, and that's Always. where the, gr- the Grizzlies comparison is unfavorable and maybe in some ways unfair. I'm kind of of the mind that most of the draft is a total crapshoot. It's within a range of randomness between the lottery, the picks, and then just your scouting on a year-to-year basis. Justin, the draft results you laid out, to me, read like an average NBA team. Mm -hmm. They nailed the number one pick when they had it, at least, you know, based on talent. Zion is an unbelievable talent. The health thing is kind of its own question mark. But otherwise, this is kind of what you expect for picking in the late teens, picking in the, the latter half of the top 10. This is kind of what you get unless you're the Memphis Grizzlies. Unless you're the Toronto Raptors. I think there are maybe like three or four teams in the NBA that consistently nail their draft stuff. Similarly, there's like three or four coaches in the NBA who really transform what you do. Otherwise, it's like the guy from number five to number 20. It's all kind of in the same range as far as draft histories, as far as coaching, as far as a lot of this stuff goes. There's just, there's so much randomness in it. I think that's a very good point. Like maybe the Grizzlies are the outlier and nobody else can really touch that. On the other hand, I would just counter drafting is the most important thing for a small market franchise. Absolutely. If you are not uniquely good at that, you need to reevaluate who's running your franchise and how much better would this ledger look if it was Zion and Hunter or Zion and Garland as opposed to Zion in the mismatch that I just laid out. Well, the difference between having to trade for CJ McCollum on his current contract and drafting Desmond Bain is transformational to what mm-hmm. you can do as far as putting your <laughs> roster together. That is a transformational difference. And that's why the Grizzlies are headed one way and the Pelicans are just kind of clawing to, to no, hold on Pelicans, to 10th place. They're on their way, Rob. They, they're on their <laughs> way to the party. Don't worry. They, they just got out the shower. They're getting dressed. Just threw some deodorant on. They're they good to go. <laughs> 
You got the spray kind. That's always in NBA <laughs> locker rooms. Um, should, should we talk about the Portland side of this at all? Yes. Yes. Let's, let's talk about it briefly. Um, they have a completely new team around Damian Lillard. In fact, they might not even have much of a team around Lillard. The team might come via the draft or maybe they're just like weird scuttlebutt happening as we're recording this podcast about like Jeremy Grant chases in the summer and Ben Simmons. And maybe they just like, these are just a bunch of assets where we just bring in the next guy over the off season. I don't know, but they have completely hit reboot. Uh, Rob, what do you think so far as of right now, the job that the Blazers have done in order to completely reshape their franchise? Well, you said, you know, maybe these are all just a bunch of assets, so we're going to package them together for a future move. What are the assets? Well, because as far as I can see, so they made these two trades. They traded Robert Covington and Norman Powell to the Clippers. They made this big trade with McCollum. Out of both of those deals... They traded away four of their best players, including Larry Nance in that group too. They got one first-round pick, and Josh Hart is the best player they got back. Yeah, and they got their own pick, which is guaranteed to be trash. Um, and you know, you can you can say, I mean, it's like they're guaranteed to be trash in regular season, so their pick is going to be good. Um, I know people were talking about the like cap space aspect of this, that that was a bit overblown. Like they would have to renounce a bunch of dudes and like they got Josh. No one's Hart, going to Portland. Like, like yeah, they, they, yeah. They, they, that part of it doesn't make any sense. I think it's just you know, <laughs> the the breakup with, with Olshay, man, this is like, this isn't like, yo, we break up and you give the person all this stuff back. It's like, no, this person once bought me a shirt. Oh. I'm sending that shirt to Goodwill. We're, we're, <laughs> we're burning all like the photos at this stage. <laughs> like, every single thing Neil Olshay has done in the last two years has been completely undone. It's like, get all of this shit out of here, which is, which I find to just be hilarious as like, <laughs> the message it sends to all shame, what they thought about the job that he did. And I think it gives them the opportunity to sort of have their feet in both lanes, right? Um, as far as, all right, they've completely gotten rid of all of the stuff that was around Dame. And as my man, Nate Jones, who again is very close to, uh, to, to Dame Lillard, put on Twitter, he's like, now they could try to build a balanced roster for the first time probably ever in the Dame era or which Nate didn't mention if they f figure out that they have to move on from Nate they're very excuse me Nate from Dame they're <laughs> from very well yeah. from both of them <laughs> they're very well positioned to do that right and and I think this was this is what they needed to do after firing the GM early in the season after all of the injuries and just after banging your head against the wall with the Dame and CJ thing three years longer than was necessary this is what they needed to do and you got to give them props for doing it relatively cleanly do we? Like, for, <laughs> for doing it two, three years too late? And again, I, I will advocate on almost every case to wait, to wait, to hold on, to see if these guys can figure it out. Because we've seen it. We've seen teams figure it out if given enough time. That was one of those cases where between that and Simmons, I mean, it's just it's just chickens coming home to roost yeah. all across the NBA as far as the yes. guys who people have been saying <laughs> they need to be broken up and waiting too long. And then you get Josh Hart back as the as the centerpiece of your return for C.J. McCollum, which I cannot imagine is what the Blazers envisioned if they were going to split those guys up, what well, they would get in return. It's not Josh Hart. It's flexibility. It's Josh Hart and the flexibility to give Anthony Simons a new contract. Yeah, yeah essentially. Um, yeah, I, I do think like the cap geek in me likes what they've done. Because they had so many bad contracts on that book. I do not want to be paying Norm Powell four years from now. And uh, I think people were like, yo, Norm Powell is like a valuable piece. How come they didn't get more from him? Was he? You know, especially right. and, and especially when you're dealing from the case like Norm Powell's 6'3". CJ McCollum is 6'2 on a good day. And then Dame is what he is. And it's like teams are just like, really? You're just going to keep doing that? Really? Yeah. Really? Now it's going to be gonna keep Hart, McCollum, and Simons. Yeah. <laughs> teams, teams aren't dumb. They're like, bro, you can't do anything with those dudes. So those assets were distressed in their current context. I think the problem with that deal was not, oh, that they made this trade. Because if you're reading the tea leaves and the Blazers are going to tear this thing down, those guys are going to have to move on. Rob Covington, Norm Powell, they're going to move on. You couldn't wait a few days. 
see if the Sixers get desperate and say, oh, we would really love another shooter on the perimeter like Norm Powell. See mm-hmm. if you can get a little something more than they got for him in Covington. I think that's the argument more so than don't trade those guys. It's, did the Clippers really have so much going on that they were going to jump on some alternative offer? And if you yank the rug on this one? It probably just speaks to how bad the contracts are, which is like, now I can understand why you needed to get out from under them. So like, they do have kind of a blank canvas here. I'm actually higher on Hart than it seems like you guys are. I think he's a defensive he's good. tone good setter. Like yeah, Hart. on a very good contract. Um, like, which is exactly what they small, need. Is he a small forward? Well, that's the problem. Like, he's probably a shooting guard who can't shoot. But he's also the type of player I think has is much more valuable than the stats suggest. And like he's sure. also the type of player who two years down the road, the, the Blazers will get tired of the fact that he can't shoot. But for now, like he's a good player to have, especially when you're trying to rebuild your culture. My question is just like, yeah, they have all these assets and maybe they turn into something. Maybe they build this young core around Dame. My question, we've talked about this in the past, and I think it's way more relevant now, is like, can you reboot around a 31-year-old Damien Lillard in time in order to take advantage of his prime years. And does this mean that you're going to give Damian Lillard the extension, the very, 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 very pricey extension that he reportedly wanted in order to commit to such a rebuild? So like now you face even bigger questions, I think. I feel like the only time I've ever seen this happen is Dirk in Dallas. I can't think of a single other time it was like, all right, we rebuilt and rebooted this roster in such a way that finally we got all the pieces to fit around the most important guy on our team. Are you talking Maybe, about Dallas when they won the title or Dallas yes, when Dirk no, faded Dallas into... No, Dallas when they won the title, right? Yeah. Like, that was the... How many iteration of the Dallas Mavericks around built around Dirk Nowitzki, right? Like, that was like version 4.0 of built around Dirk. And... Look, they nailed it. They got it exactly right. You know, they had the right type of center around him. They had the right type of pieces around him to make it work. And, of course, that's a different NBA. And we're talking about two different players. But I'm just saying, like, the last time I seen a team do (laughs) their fourth, fifth reboot of their roster around this superstar franchise player, and it, like, worked, was Dirk. Um, Mm. So, again, it's, it's possible Although I don't, th- I certainly don't think it's probable. Yeah, that- there's not a great track record for it. I think it's Dirk and maybe like the the Lakers reboot for Kobe's last right. two championships with Pow. Yeah. That would be mm. the equivalent. But you're coming from a very different place if you're the Lakers, and you're coming for with a very different kind of player in Kobe versus Damian Lillard coming off of a major injury and in the worst season of his career with almost nothing around him. Very, very little in terms of supporting cast right now. The Blazers are going to have to flesh out their entire roster again. This reminds me a little bit of, and in a way that makes me a little bit nervous, of what the Rockets went through with James Harden after they traded for John Wall, where it's like, is this guy going to come back or not? I think Dame Mm. is expressing in every way he can that he wants to be a Blazer for life. This is what he wants. He wants to stay in Portland. That's great. But the the Blazers have to build in a way right now, as Waz alluded to, on a dual track model where every move they make makes sense with Dame and without Dame in a future in which he's no longer a part of their team. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Like it's it's good to have flexibility, it's good to have different options, but there's there's no question it's hard. It's hard to find players who fit both of those timelines and models at once. And that's how if you're the Rockets, you end up with, hey, we have Christian Wood all of a sudden. <laughs> And and maybe we're perpetually trying to trade Kristen Wood, Christian Wood. Who knows? You know who the biggest winner of this trade is? Our friend Daryl Morey. Because all of a sudden, it seems like every star is wanting out. Like, seems like the Harden thing may or may not happen, but at the very least, he's disgruntled there. Bradley Beal is all out for the season now with wrist surgery, so he's off the table. But, like, that only puts more doubt in whether or not he is willing to stay and whether the the Wizards want him to stay long-term, want to pay him all that money. And now we have Damian Lillard, who is staring at Anthony Simons being his number two. And I would have to ask myself, if I'm Dame, like, wouldn't it be better to just, like, run with Joel Embiid into the wild and, and just, like, try to put together a title contender there? Like, we talked about like the opportunity cost of Daryl making a deal earlier as opposed to waiting to see if any of these guys shake loose. I mean, at the very least, they have options now. I'll just say that. Well, Daryl is the big winner. 
Do you know who the big loser of this trade is? Us, because we're losing podcast fodder by the day. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's definitely true. But I think it's Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who, because he now plays with Anthony Simons, is not even the best version of himself on his own team anymore. <laughs> just been totally supplanted in his lane, and well, it's brutal maybe, to see. Maybe the solution for that guy's career is less running and mm. gunning, and, and more like, yo, maybe Defense. guard a guy, maybe yeah. pick your spots. What on a sideswipe on, on our guy Naw here. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I mean, we've gone so far around the bend. Waz is advocating restraint. I never thought I would see the day, but here we are. <laughs> also, also, I've been a closet um, Anthony Simons guy for a few years now. Um, it, it, it was looking bleak last year. And I was like, oh, maybe this is never going to happen. But this year, he's shown himself to be a player. So my patience has been rewarded. Maybe the brightest spot in Portland's season, Anthony Simons. He's been he's been tremendous for them. I have some breaking and relevant news to share with you from our guy, oh, no. Adrian Wojnarowski. The Utah Jazz are acquiring guard Nikhil Alexander-Walker. <laughs> wow. And the Spurs' is Juancho Hernan Gomez in a three-way trade. The Spurs get Thomas Sadoransky in a second-round pick, and the Blazers get Joe Ingles, Elijah Hughes, RIP Joe Ingles, in a second-round pick. Wow. So... <laughs> The Jazz, who need defense, are definitely sure. going to need Nikhil Alexander-Walker to play some defense. Yeah, they uh, they need, at the very least, is like athleticism on the wing, like or the threat of athleticism on the wing, because they, they, they're just so sorely lacking in that right now. So good for them that they're trying something here. My takeaway from that deal is good for the Cavs for jumping on the Levert deal when they did for a guy who's out for a contract and, and a pick, basically, because Joe Ingles' contract seemed like the only way, at least one of the primary ways, the Jazz were going to try to get better, attaching something to that to get something in return. And correct me if, if I'm right, Justin, but you said it's Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Juancho Hern, Herman Gomez that are the primary returns for them in that? Yep. I mean, it's not what you want if you're Utah. <laughs> yeah, it's not what you want. Like, yeah, this seems like filling out the reserve unit with some high upside guys, which... Nice. Nice to have. Like, if you're a believer in Alexander Walker, um, you know, I don't know how the Jazz are getting that type of player otherwise. I am not a big Nikhil Alexander Walker guy at this point, but, you know, the Alexander family has produced some talent, so <laughs> maybe something works out there. I just gotta say, just like, throwing Joe Ingles into the wild here. Like, he's going to the Blazers. Clearly, his salary flotsam. It seemed like it was gonna happen anyway, even if he was healthy, but, like, they just had him on the broadcast do, like, an entire quarter's worth of, like, reflection on his career, and we probably Jesus. should have known then. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Poor um, Joe. Right. We'll see how that all works out. Um, briefly here, before we go here, a couple predictions. Uh, was do you think Harden becomes a Sixer by twelve oh one? I think tomorrow? so. I think because I think Daryl's just gonna have to realize that it's 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 do or die. It's now or never. His conference is wide open. Um, you know, and like Joel Embiid is playing at a level we've never seen him play before. This is all time great big man Hall of Fame stuff. If it costs you a Maxi or a Thibault, two guys who are good players who we like, who, again, internet might be overrating them as far as their importance in a playoff setting. Um, I think ultimately he's going to have to blink and face reality and just be like, all right, I, I'm going to do what I got to do to get Harden into this building. I now have Harden and Embiid. I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's see what I got against the Bucks. Let's see what I got against Brooklyn. And like, oh. I just love the idea of Brooklyn and Ben Simmons playing the Sixers in the playoffs, a freaking Sixers home game against the Nets. I, I'm just, oh my God, my head wants to explode at just the thought of that happening this season in the playoffs. I also think it's going to happen almost for the opposite reason. I think if you're the Nets, you just have zero confidence in Harden being back on your team after this yeah, season. And by the way, by the way, fuck off. <laughs> Get out of here, James Harden. Like, the, like the, James, the the Harden thing is hilarious because, again, like, your one millionth um, teammates that are not up to snuff for you. Um, and, again, you're a guy who's never done a single thing in the playoffs. 
nothing. You have no track record of being excellent in the playoffs. And now you're bitching and griping about people not being at your level and not up to your expectations. Get out of here. I still have KD. Therefore, I'm good, baby. Yeah, I don't see, know. If, if I were the Nets, I would say to Harden, where else are you going? Like, who has cap space over the summer in order to sign you? You know this is inevitability. And I wonder if Daryl, our friend, is going to try to push too hard in order to keep a maxi or a Thibel. And this actually just extends out into the offseason for that reason. There's going to be a staring That's contest crazy. about the minute details, so which is actually why Harden wasn't there straight from the Rockets, right? Like Daryl drew a hard line reportedly over including a maxi or, or additional stuff, including in, in addition to Simmons. And so I wonder if that happens again. I don't know if I'm ready for full-on prediction with this, but I think the deal's going to happen. I think neither Maxi or Thibel are going to be in it. I think it's going to be primarily Ben Simmons and maybe picks based mm. uh, for Harden. I, I, it's just, just a gut feeling based on where we are right now. All right, we will wait and and see what happens there. Uh, we'll have a ton of stuff on the Ringer NBA show feed and on the Bill Simmons podcast feed for the deadline. So check those out Thursday and Friday. But that is it for us. We'll be back next week as a trio. Uh, thank you to Devin Manzi for filling out in production. If you have a birthday party, please invite Rob and I, but not Wad. <laughs> we'll see you next time.